This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Let us start today's program with a bit of follow-up. We'd like to forward promote on this show things that we will be doing in the weeks and months to come. But sometimes uh, things get in the way and we're not able to get to where we'd like to. Uh, Such was the case, we thought, a few months back as regards our look back at the sinking of the USS Liberty, which celebrated its, well, celebrated is not the right word, which commemorated its 50th anniversary last June. This little-known tragic episode involving an attack and killing of, I believe, 134 U.S. servicemen by the Israelis has been alleged to be a tragic accident. We think there's more to the story, and we're hoping over the summer to talk about it. We did not do so because we didn't find someone to chat with us, but happily, upon looking at some of my old emails, I see that we were offered a guest on this very topic sometime last spring. Well, the fact is I don't check my promotions file as often as I should. But to make a too long story shorter, I would just note that we're going to see if we can't find that original offer, track it down, and bring on a suitable guest to discuss this most worthy topic. We're also hot in pursuit of someone to talk about the tragedy taking place down at UC Irvine. As discussed on this program a few weeks back, someone named Henry Samueli, the owner of the Anaheim Ducks and an Irvine semiconductor billionaire, has donated $200 million to UCI to promote homeopathy. This has been described as the seventh largest gift ever made to a U.S. public university, $50 million of which is going to go toward housing the College of Health Sciences, which will bear the Samuli name. At any rate, endorsing homeopathy in a medical school is just maybe a half-step removed from endorsing astrology. And in corresponding with some of my former peers, From UCI, I did get a dismayed response, but nobody willing to come forward and criticize this ongoing travesty. But the fact of the matter is, the Food and Drug Administration, Center for Disease Control, American Medical Association, and other people of supposed responsible positions in healthcare have not come forward to put the kibosh on such things as training courses where doctors can get 34 hours of CME on clinical homeopathy, a brochure of which I'm holding in my right hand at the moment. If homeopathy is correct, then physiology, biology, biochemistry, chemistry, and physics are wrong because its principles run counter to all of the above. We're not giving up. We're going to see if we can get someone to come forward and discuss this because this needs to be discussed. How it is we have people running amok in a sweat, contending that nobody should be vaccinated. Meanwhile, meanwhile, homeopathy is being given a pass. Well, I I just this is this is a state of affairs that we we need to to delve into. For a refresher course in that, we refer you to our own archives at radioparallax.com. Our discussion with Dr. Simon Singh about his book, Trick or Treatment, did spend a fair amount of time on homeopathy is worth a listen if you missed it the first time, and I think worth a review if you heard it when it aired. And although I guess technically doesn't qualify as follow-up, because I don't believe I mentioned on the air that we were seeking someone to talk to us about the passing of Cy Newhouse, 
of The New Yorker and Vanity Fair and so many other publishing ventures. But the fact is, we so far can't find anybody from The New Yorker to talk to us, but we do have some slight connection over there, and hope springs eternal. Cy Newhouse was um, a brilliant guy, by all accounts, and a bit of a recluse and a billionaire, which I think makes him an interesting figure to discuss, don't you, dear listener? We'll see what we can do. And because we bag on high-tech on this program a great deal, because we think there's some aspects of it that deserve um, being looked at with a jaundiced eye, we nevertheless probably should on occasion step back and say there's some pretty cool things that, that are taking place. Thus, we would note that if you have what's described as a Google Pixel phone, I don't have one, but I'm not sure what it is, but if you have one, you're soon going to be able to speak 40 languages. You just need a pair of earbuds, which Google announced a week or two ago in San Francisco. They will provide for you on-demand two-way translation. Now, if you've ever tried to use a translation program, and believe you me, I have over the years, you will note that in the past, they weren't so good. I cannot vouch for the fact that they truly will make you bilingual at this point, but I know that they're better. A friend of mine who spoke Spanish was using one recently a cruder version than this high-tech one, but she was able to uh, to communicate much more effectively, and I think this is probably going to turn out well. Although, if we invoke the law of unintended consequences, it's probably going to mean that people are now not going to bother to, to learn foreign languages. Instead, they're going to rely on earbuds, which is going to be great until you're in the middle of Beijing in the train station looking for the uh, train for Ulaanbaatar, and your batteries give out right as you're trying to buy the ticket. I guess the moral of that speculation would be that we should still learn foreign languages, which allows me to segue into our joke of the day. Although I've used it before, why not use it again? It is appropriate. I got a few laughs in Europe uh, last year with this one, which was to explain to people that if you speak three languages, you are trilingual. If you speak two languages, you are bilingual. And if you speak one language, you are American. And not only do we not speak foreign languages, apparently these days Americans do not know geography. While in line, waiting for my rental car in Kauai last month, a obviously foreign couple standing behind me in line were speaking a language which I only caught snippets of. Had I listened longer, I might have guessed that it was Romanian. But I turned to them and said, excuse me, where are you from? The guy looked me up and down, paused sighed and said, Europe. I chuckled at that point and said, more specifically? He again paused, sighed a bit, and said, Moldova. To which I replied, well, I've never been to Moldova, but I was in Bucharest last year. Now, for those of you who don't know the story, and many of you don't, I would note that today's Moldova, before the fall of the Soviet Union, was known as the Moldavian Soviet Socialist Republic. Before that, it was known as a piece of Romania, which when the Red Army moved west, Stalin decided to keep. When the USSR collapsed, there was talk of reuniting this piece of Romania with the mother country, but I guess somehow negotiations fell down. The guy did not acknowledge that I obviously knew where Moldova was by my reply. It it seemed pretty clear he did not want to discuss geography with an American. My attention was called away for a moment, but a minute later I turned back to him and said, by the way... When Americans ask where you're from and you say Moldova, how many have known where that was? He looked at me and said, one, to which I added, so I would be the second. At that point, his girlfriend, who was slightly amused by all this, chuckled and says, yes, you would be second. 
And since I expressed an interest on last week's program of returning to Romania, having been cheated out of having been cheated of an extensive visit there by my prolonged stay in Bulgaria, uh, I think I'm going to try and get Moldova into the itinerary when I do go back, which will be in the not too distant future. I hope the Romanians seemed pretty nice. The food was excellent, and since Romanian is a Romance language, I have a you know fighting chance of being able to pick a little bit of it up without too much difficulty. Of course, I guess I can always get some of them Google earbuds. And when we do a radio program week after week, it's sometimes difficult to find things to be optimistic about in today's world. So let us take the ball and run back up the field the wrong way <laughs> in this juncture. And a quote from someone who is more jaded than we are. In this case, comedian John Cleese of Monty Python fame, writing in nymag.com, David Marchese interviewed Cleese, who is currently on his fourth marriage, and noted that the Monty Python star has a deeply pessimistic view of the world and is convinced that most people are either hopelessly stupid or irrational. Marchese noted that he rarely watches comedy, and most humor fails to make him laugh. Cleese said, I think it's become... Cleese said, I think it's because laughter contains an element of surprise, something about our human condition that you haven't spotted yet. Adding many of the things that would have made me laugh 30 years ago, paradoxes about human nature wouldn't make me laugh anymore because I just believe them to be true. They're not revelations. After years of exploring his own demons in therapy, Cleese has no hope of ever living in a sane, kind, intelligent society. Saying, quote, most of us are run by our unconscious, and unfortunately most of us have no interest in getting in touch with our unconscious, end quote. But he added, still, it doesn't stop him from getting up in the morning. Just because you can't create a sensible world doesn't mean you can't enjoy the world you're in. I think Bertrand Russell once said that the secret to happiness is to face the fact that the world is horrible. Once you realize that things are pretty hopeless, don't waste your time on things that you can't change. Well, we're not at all sure what we can or cannot change by mouthing off here at Radio Parallax. But if you take the long view, we do have to admit the world is a pretty marvelous place. I guess we can paraphrase Charlie Chaplin, who I think once said that um, life is a tragedy in the close-up, but a comedy in the long shot. Close-ups and long shots today, shall we? Actually, cite a couple of obituaries and see what inspiration we may draw from them. In the first, in the first case, we'll look at the passing of Jake LaMotta, a 1940s and 50s boxer who was, again, made famous by the wonderful movie Raging Bull. His obituary noted that LaMotta's ferocity, both inside the ring and out, was immortalized in Martin Scorsese's 1980 portrayal, Raging Bull. LaMotta personally trained Robert De Niro for the lead role, boxing more than a thousand rounds with the actor. But the former champ was angered when he saw the final film and its portrayal of him as a brutal, wife-beating paranoiac. Said LaMotta, then I realized it was true. I was a no-good bastard. I realize it now. It's not the way I am now, but the way I was then. LaMotta was the middleweight champion in 1950, defending his title twice before losing it to longtime rival Sugar Ray Robinson. I believe he fought Robinson six times. I know that he once quipped, I fought Sugar so many times I got diabetes. After leaving the ring, like so many boxers, LaMotta faced some pretty hard times. But the release of Raging Bull rescued him from obscurity, and he enjoyed a long second career on the speaking circuit, delivering one-liners, signing autographs, and making appearances before far more people than ever attended his fights. Said LaMotta, without that film, I'd be in bad shape. It made me champ all over again. 
And although, like many people, we share the opinion that professional wrestling is astonishingly inane, we have to note with amusement the obituary about Bobby Heenan. It was noted in that that Heenan managed some of the biggest names in what's called professional wrestling, including Andre the Giant, Ric Flair, Ravishing Rick Rude, and Big John Studd, known as The Brain by his fans and Weasel by his enemies. Bobby Heenan drummed up attention for his clients by trash-talking anyone and everyone, his wrestlers' opponents, their fans, and the towns where the matches took place. Heenan once said, You ever been to Glen Falls, New York? The city limits sign are on the same post. Hulk Hogan's followers, I guess he came from Glen Falls, he declared, were the kind of people who wear a brown sock and a white sock and got a pair at home just like them. Because most of uh, Heenan's stable were villainous heels, Heenan would strut around the ring before and during matches, taunting the crowd. And although I can't say that I ever caught some of his commentary, after he retired from wrestling, he formed a TV partnership with former wrestler Gorilla Monsoon. And you know, I have to confess, I do like saying Gorilla Monsoon. I don't know who came up with it. That's a pretty funny moniker. Anyway, Heenan got admitted to the so-called Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. And we have to cite what he said at the ceremony. It was an honor, he said, to have brought his comedy into a business that I often thought needed a kick in the pants and a couple of smiles. Yes, Mr. Millen and I did enjoy a rerun version of Kirby Enthusiasm earlier this week where to get revenge upon a professional wrestler who's done him harm. Larry David sits down with his two boys in the lobby of a hotel to tell them that their father is an actor. It's all fake. And while I confess to not knowing anything about actress Elizabeth Banks, her performance on the latest issue of Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, was something pretty darn amusing. You might want to check it out, dear listener. And uh, by the way, it is our hope that in the not-too-distant future we'll be bringing back, quote, O.J. Simpson, unquote, to the program. The convicted felon was released from custody after serving nine years two weeks ago. We're going to see if we can't bring him back to talk about that. And we would like to note, as a public service announcement, that if you are a convicted felon who's just been sentenced to eight years in state prison for pistol whipping a robbery victim, and you are by accident set free on the day of your sentencing... We counsel you to not post selfies on Instagram. Evidently, earlier this month, David Lopez was nabbed on the San Jose golf course a week after he'd been released from the Santa Clara County Jail by mistake. On Thursday, September 20th, a judge had sentenced Lopez to eight years in state prison, but a few hours after the sentencing hearing, Correctional deputies at at the Elmwood facility in Milpitas ordered him out the door at 7.45. Evidently an error in the paperwork. Evidently a paperwork error allowed this to happen. And to compound matters, because Lopez was no longer listed as an inmate, jail officials had no way of knowing he was missing until they found out about this mistake six days after he walked out of the facility. And they apparently caught him on a golf course. Sources said that he just arrived when he was captured. It was unclear whether he had actually planned to golf or shag balls or was visiting for some other reason. And yes, the day before, Lopez had posted Instagram photographs of himself enjoying a day at the East Ridge Mall. Don't let this happen to you. We are as curious as you are, dear listener, to see where this probe of Russian meddling in the 2016 election is going to lead. 
I've got a lot of friends that think it's all smoke, no fire. I'm sure there's a lot of smoke, but we think there's some flames at the bottom of it. In fact, we think there's a conflagration at the bottom of it. And, and you know, like John Cleese, we sometimes have to ponder how irrational people can be. And <laughs> that's something that just seems to pop up when you're talking about Donald Trump. 77% of Trump voters said that even if the ongoing investigations were to find Trump guilty of Russian collusion, he should still remain in office. Which allows us to segue into our quote of the day, which comes from the nation's first son-in-law. And frankly, I don't know how we missed this, but Jared Kushner told a group of White House interns last August that his father-in-law's campaign was too disorganized to have colluded with the Russians. Kushner said, we couldn't even collude with our local offices. And for our quip of the day, or is it a quote? I'm not sure. We have this item. A Wyoming man who was arrested for public intoxication told police he'd been sent from the future to warn humanity of an impending alien invasion. Evidently, when Casper police detained Bryant Johnson, age 27, he demanded to speak with the town's, quote, president, unquote. He then claimed he'd traveled back from the year 2048 to tell locals to evacuate because the aliens were coming next year. Johnson, who had a blood alcohol concentration of 0.136, said he was drunk because, and here's where the quote comes in, time travel doesn't work when you're sober. And I must confess, I did not know that. And for our stat of the day, and this one comes from the Cato Institute as repeated in the week, 72% of Americans believe it should be illegal for citizens to desecrate the flag. And no, we're not sure whether kneeling during the national anthem counts as desecration to these folks. But more disturbing, 50% of Republicans think the media has, quote, too much freedom, unquote, to say what it wants. Yeah, what's up with that? But for what's going to pass as good news in today's program, an additional stat, we have this. 57% of Americans disagree with President Trump and say that the NFL should not fire players who kneel during the national anthem. By the way, that compares favorably with the 54% of Americans who know that Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for literality. After the Food and Drug Administration here in America warned a Massachusetts natural foods company to stop listing, quote, love, unquote, as an ingredient in its granola. Since, the agency pointed out, love is not a common or usual name of an ingredient. This comes from the same people that got nothing to say about homeopathy. The same people that allow you to market vitamin pills as airborne, a so-called immune booster, in your local 7-Eleven. Airborne is not an immune booster, and the odds are it's not going to help you avoid colds. And by the way, for another slam at homeopathy, we refer you to our archives at Radio Parallax for our interview with the amazing James Randi. Assisted by this correspondent, James Randi on stage took a massive, quote, overdose, unquote, of a homeopathic sleep aid. Not surprisingly, he suffered no ill consequences. And it was a bad week last week for efforts to ban the veil, at least in Austria, because of the following. In Vienna, a man wearing a shark costume to help promote a new computer repair shop 
was fined under Austria's new burqa ban. The unnamed worker was standing outside the McShark store in Vienna when police asked him to remove his shark mask. When he refused, explaining, I'm just doing my job, police slapped him with a fine, which can go up to $175. The anti-mask law, which bans any face covering in public and is aimed at the tiny minority of Austrian Muslim women who wear full face veils, went into effect at the start of October. Police said a citizen, presumably one who had hoped to expose the law's flaws, alerted them to the violation and the shop. By the way, Radio Parallax cannot confirm the rumor that the Saudi authorities have now loosened up the regulations to allow the wearing of a shark costume in the kingdom. And it was an ugly week for the freedom of speech. Last week, when Vice President Mike Pence walked out of the 49ers Indianapolis Colts game when two dozen visiting 49ers took a knee during the national anthem. We take the position that regardless of how you feel about why players are protesting, it is their right to do so and a reflection, a happy reflection on the freedoms we enjoy in America. We would again quote Voltaire, who supposedly once said, and I'm paraphrasing, and the fact is I don't know that Voltaire ever said this, I think he denied it, but the quote is, I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. So the punchline of this story, which is very disturbing, is that during a meeting next week, NFL owners are supposed to consider changing league rules to make it mandatory that players stand for the national anthem. Does anybody find it a little bit disconcerting that black people are going to be told by their, quote, owners, unquote, what they have to do? And yeah, there's some there's some white people that are that are taking a knee during the national anthem, but uh, hey, they got owners too, don't they? Personally, I've never understood why it is they play the national anthem during sporting events, and I've never understood why it is school children are expected to salute the American flag. I think they're both very strange practices. During the Vietnam War, when I was a youth, a lot of people felt that by way of protest they should not. I joined that protest. And last said, the flag salute at age 15. I've never said it since. I should note that at age 15, I said my last Pledge of Allegiance. And I've not saluted the flag since. I have a great love for the United States of America and a lot of what it stands for. And a lot of what it is. But I sometimes am pretty depressed at what the government does. And I think it's a reasonable form of protest to voice that objection by not saluting a flag. Okay? So we'll see how that vote turns out next week, but we do want to note that according to CNN.com, at least $7.7 million of the $106 million raised for Trump's inaugural committee came from NFL owners and the league. And by the way, Colin Kaepernick is now alleging that the NFL colluded to deny him a place on any of their team's rosters. That's probably true. I mean, good luck proving that in court. Colin, the NFL is going to argue that although he once appeared to be a franchise quarterback, his play afterwards was rather erratic. And while a lot of teams could use a guy who's occasionally brilliant, it's by no means certain that he should be guaranteed a place on at least some team in the league. Although I think that would be the opinion of almost any observer of the NFL. Let's talk about some good news on the dementia front, a front that frankly could use some good news. 
I mean, humans are living longer, but unfortunately, uh, it seems that perhaps more of us are coming down with dementia later in life. Seems that way, anyway. And artificial intelligence, much maligned on Radio Parallax, <laughs> may offer some hope in this area. It turns out that AI apparently can identify changes in the brains of people likely to get Alzheimer's almost a decade before doctors can diagnose the disease from symptoms alone. This comes from research in Italy, where an algorithm uh, inspected various MRI scans to see if patterns might emerge. Evidently, the AI was able to distinguish between a healthy brain and one with Alzheimer's with an accuracy of 86%, and was able to do so a decade before clinical symptoms appeared. This is interesting. And Matthew Walker, director of the Center for Human Sleep Science at the University of California, Berkeley, has a new book out called Why We Sleep, which (laughs) until now has still been somewhat mysterious. It still is mysterious. We're just trying to figure it out, and progress is being made. Mr. Walker was on a radio program recently. I think it might have been Michael Krasny's forum where he was talking about some of this research. It's fascinating. But this also has a role to play in Alzheimer's. It, It turns out, according to Matthew Walker, that sleep disruption plays a role in the declining mental abilities that typify Alzheimer's. And getting enough sleep is one of the most important factors determining whether you will develop the condition in the future. According to Matthew's research, sleep disturbance precedes the onset of Alzheimer's by several years, suggesting that it is an early warning sign of the condition or even a contributor. He notes that after a diagnosis, the magnitude of sleep disruption progresses in lockstep with the severity of the symptoms, further suggesting a link between the two. There's an excellent article by him in the current edition of New Scientist magazine. There's one little stat that caught my attention in there. It notes the average number of sleep hours people got in 1942 was 7.9. What do you think it was in 2013? Well, the answer is 6.8 average hours, more than an hour less. Could this lack of sleep have something to do why more of us get Alzheimer's? Research continues. And finally, it turns out a rather simple way to detect whether someone might be prone to develop dementia is to test their smell. New research at the University of Chicago notes that people with a poor sense of smell may be more likely to develop dementia. They tested several thousand men and women between ages 57 and 85 to see whether they could detect five different scents, peppermint, fish, orange, rose, and leather. Most participants could identify four of the five, but 22% couldn't. Five years later, the researchers found that those who didn't pick up at least four of the odors were more than twice as likely to have dementia, even if they had normal brain function when the study began. The worse their performance, the higher their risk. All right, and because I don't want to end this segment on the topic of dementia, let's do this instead. According to The Week, police in Long Island are searching for a burglar who who stole $100 from a restaurant, but not before cooking a meal like a chef and cleaning up after himself. Apparently, security cameras at Nelly's Taqueria recorded the intruder putting on gloves and preparing chicken, beans, and shrimp. Said manager Will Kalan, he was cooking up a storm. He was sifting the food, making sure it was heated evenly. After dining, the burglar forced open a cash register, but didn't leave the premises until he'd washed all his dishes and wiped down the surfaces. Said Kalan, the dude had some skills. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax.